Hi, this is Cassandra Lee Morris, and you're listening to the Annie Monday Podcast. Please enjoy your weekly dose of random anime. Hello, and welcome to the Annie Monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill. And I'm Kayla Hemphill. On our show, we roll the virtual dice and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Thanks for joining us during spooky season. <laughs> Super spooky season. Where we're not really watching that much spooky stuff this week for the show. A little bit, maybe. Uh, it's got, you know, it's got spirits. It, yeah. it kind of works. Not horror, but... Thank goodness. on that. Yeah, well, we haven't. Uh, I haven't convinced Kayla to do a uh, horror-themed anime sort of episode no. at this point. Maybe one day. Mm. Fates send- have been on my side so far. The roles have been in my favor. Yeah, send us your uh, send us your horror favorites for anime, though, or not, or not. Well, on our previous episode, we paid a five yen coin to the randomizer, and our wish to watch Noragami was heard loud and clear. Noragami began as a manga series by Adachi Toka in 2010. Adachi Toka is a portmanteau of two female illustrators, Adachi and Tokashiki, uh, one of whom draws the foreground characters and one who draws the backgrounds. And there have been 24 volumes of that manga series to date. The 12-episode anime series that we watched was produced by Bones Studio A and aired in 2014 with a 13-episode second season airing in 2015. And finally, there was a mobile game called uh, Noragami Gods and Fate in 2015, which I highly doubt made it over here. (laughs) And we watched the first four episodes of that anime series on Funimation. All right, Kayla, would you like to give us a synopsis? Hiyori Iki's life is suddenly altered dramatically when she meets a strange god named Yato and his spiritual weapon, Yukane. Trying to live between two worlds will test everything she has ever known, but maybe she will find more of herself along the way. So I think this this show lends itself pretty well to kind of introducing characters and story at the same time. Um, We kind of are introduced to them, you know, sequentially through the episodes, and and I I think if it works for you, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the story focuses, like you said, on Yato, who is... um, he calls himself a god of war at at least one point in these first episodes, and that does not seem like the current situation for him. He also calls himself a god of delivery. Yes. Like deliveries. Yeah, it's, it's almost like he uses a business name. Like mm-hmm. uh, he's putting up spray paint advertisements and like handwritten uh, notes on public transportation and things like that. Delivery god Yato at your service. Mm-hmm. Um, But that seems to be just like he's making chump change, kind of like I joked about previously, uh, with five yen for each job that he does. No matter the magnitude of the job. Yeah, it could be as much as destroying a phantom, which is like the kind of evil spirit uh, of the far shore that inhabits the world and kind of mentally affects the people it is involved with or around. Or it could be cleaning some guy's bathroom. 
Which he does really well. He's great at it. Uh, Both cost the same. Yes. And as such, um, he is not living his best life in terms of uh, doesn't have a shrine devoted to him, doesn't have any followers that we know of. Um, And so it's just kind of bumming around town and making barely anything and uh, even spends his nights at the shrines of other local gods. Yeah, so when we meet him, he's taken on different requests. We see him kind of having two different requests. One where he's eliminating a phantom that seems to have culminated through the emotions of these like really stressed out teenagers who are like, it's exam time. So like there's more negative emotions that are around. And so it's causing more phantoms to appear. But the real start to Hiori's part of this story is when he's trying to find somebody's cat. Yeah. Who has the best cat name, and it's Milord. Milord. I love it. It's super cute. Named by a child. Yeah. <laughs> and Hiori sees Yato trying to lure this cat out of the street. Yeah. And there's a bus coming. And so she tries to like shove him out of the way and she gets hit by the bus. Right. Yeah. And immediately following, uh, she finds herself like over his body. Like, what were you doing? You idiot. You almost got yourself killed. And meanwhile, her actual body is still hit by the bus, seemingly dead. Uh, and Yato is like, uh, you think you're missing something over there? <laughs> and so she assumes that she's super dead at this point. And we keep seeing these little moments where she seems to be waking up to different realities. And over the first episode, it's basically revealed that she's gotten stuck in between the far shore, which is sort of like the afterlife. Yeah. And present reality. And so she slips in and out of her body. So her physical body will, in sort of a narcoleptic way, will just sort of collapse. And her, I'm going to say soul, her soul will separate from her body. Yeah. Yeah, and and we see even, even the fact that she saw Yato looking for the cat is kind of unusual. Um, They talk about later in the show that the gods aren't typically seen by humans. They can kind of announce themselves to make themselves known and present, but generally they can just go about their business without being noticed or recognized. He describes it like you can see people on the street, but you don't remember all of their faces. They just sort of blend into your awareness and that's kind of how the gods are even more so like even more than a random stranger on the street they just blend into the environment yeah and so she already had like this slight attunement in the fact that she saw this happening but now she's kind of deeply linked between these two worlds which something they'll point out and i think this is a good note for her character is that really the only people that are highly attuned to phantoms or to the gods or or anything are 
animals and babies, like really young children right. can have this sort of awareness. And I think there's some sort of hint there for Hiori's kind of pure innocence, but also like her openness to accept things that are beyond like her general understanding that she is very welcoming. She's very open to people. She's very understanding of people, even when she disagrees with them. Yeah. Not in a people-pleasing way. She will definitely challenge people when she thinks they're wrong. But she has this ability to forgive and forgive and forgive in a really authentic way. And I think they kind of parallel that with some of the rules of this universe. Yeah. I guess sort of um, after that whole thing happens and um, she awakens in the hospital and um, it's almost unclear like how she came off so physically fine from the scenario because she was hit by a bus, not just a car. We don't know if like Yato kind of stepped in to save her physical form a little bit there. Um, Or if that's just something like something about her spiritual life was wrapped up in that physical kind of interaction. But she, she has another encounter with Yato who comes to check in on her. And um, after seeing him a handful of times is like, all right, I'll pay your five yen. (laughs) You have got to get me back to normal to where I'm not, falling asleep and like slipping out of my body all the time. And this is where you mentioned earlier, Yukine or Yuki uh, comes into play. Uh, there is another spiritual being in this world called a regalia. And um, we've seen one of these in the first episode, like the very first scene when uh, Yato is fighting a phantom. And when that job is done, his uh, dagger that he was using turned into a person and uh, she is super done with him and living like this no money, no food, no shelter lifestyle and quits. And um, that's when he he loses his regalia, which is a spiritual weapon of sorts. Well, we see that he releases her. It's like a contract sort of between the two of them. Right, and he's giving her agency in in that. Uh, presumably, he's in charge. Um, mm-hmm. But he lets her go, and now he has no weapons, so the only jobs that he can do are, like, cleaning bathrooms. And so to pursue, sort of, uh, he, is, he seems hesitant to pursue Hiori's job, uh, mostly that he doesn't know how to do it, how to fix her. But he, he really can't do anything heavyweight without a new regalia. And so she kind of goes off on her own to expedite the job because she's tired of him kind of dinking around town. And um, ends up getting chased by a phantom. And this is where Yato kind of spur of the moment has to immediately find a regalia. And he does. And this is when we start to see that there are lots of different kind of components that are going on in this world. So when he sees Yukine, he's different than like the phantoms that you see. The phantoms are really kind of ghoulish looking. And when you see 
Yukine, he's a little like spirit sprite. Like if yeah. you've ever seen uh, my neighbor Totoro, he's like the little suit sprite, mm-hmm. except white. Yeah, like a little sun with a face on it. Yeah. And so he calls Yukine. He claims his name. So basically he, in order to have this contract with Yukine, a god would present the spirit with two names. One is sort of like a person name, like the name that you would just call them when they're in their person form. Yeah. And then to activate their weapon form, they have a secondary name. And I think, in a way, whatever you name their weapon form kind of indicates perhaps the type of weapon that they'll be. Yeah. Or something about the nature of that weapon. Names are really powerful in this world. They're very important. Yeah. And... So Yukine becomes his, I'm going to say regalia. That's the way that I would pronounce that word. He becomes his regalia and immediately it's pretty clear that there's something special about him. That he's pretty powerful for a brand new weapon, but also that he's pretty young. Yeah. And um, it in the instant where he calls his name... Um, Yato kind of experiences his life before he died, uh, Yukine's life before he died. And um, you only see little flashes of it visibly in the show, um, but it seems sad and tragic. Like it immediately brings him in the heat of battle, like to tears in, in the streets. But Yukine himself has no memory of his former life. And so this is where you can kind of start to see the the bond between the regalia and the god who wields them. I guess the only other thing to note is like it is wintertime uh, when we're watching this and it is snowing. Yuki means snow in Japanese. So I think um, I think he's implying like I, I called you out of the snow kind of. Mm. That's the source of the human name he was given. So as the story goes on, we start to encounter lots of different kind of characters and rules about this universe. So one of the things that we learn is that a regalia and a god kind of share like body and spirit. That's how connected they are. So if the regalia does something kind of distasteful, the god is aware of it and it affects them. Yeah. And and one of the things that are really important to note is that corruption is a common theme throughout these episodes. There's a lot of discussion around how souls get corrupted, why it's important for regalias to not be mm-hmm. corrupted in any sort of way. And even the sort of hint at there's something weird about Hiori's situation. It's not very common, but also it's she is and is not corrupted by the fact that her soul is kind of stuck between the human world and the spiritual world. And the interactions that different gods are having with 
Yato and Hiori and Yukane show that they they're very different. And it's not always clear why. They just seem to be breaking rules. Yeah, I think there's even elements um like we see Yato having corruption on his arm at one point because he had sort of a negative interaction with a phantom. Uh, And we even see other gods in the universe who will, well, they're already established. They're pretty wealthy. They have a lot of shrines, a lot of followers. And so they don't have to get their hands dirty. And so they will sometimes pass off jobs to someone like Yato, who is a little more willing to do that kind of difficult work. Um, one case is, uh, a God named Tenjin, who is the God of like knowledge and academics. Um, and Yato, in fact, sleeps at one of his shrines because I guess they're cool enough that he's not going to bother him there. But even Yato's former regalia ends up finding a home at Tenjin's shrine. And, uh, I think that's one of the, one of the times where he gets Yato gets called in to do a job for Tenjin, like, you go over there, you handle that phantom thing, because you've got the weapon, you're good at that, and I'll just, you know, sit at my fancy shrine. And when we meet Tenjin, there's another god that we also meet, and both of them will have interactions with Hiori, where they give kind of warnings about Yato, of just like, hey, Yato's not 100% who he seems. Like, it's not that he's inauthentic, it's that he has a past. Yeah. And so you should be warned that he has a past, and that might mean that you're in danger. Yeah. Not necessarily because of him, but because of his history. Right. And seemingly that hasn't led these gods in particular to like dislike Yato or be personally afraid of him. In fact, he he kind of has uh, the one you mentioned, I think, is, is Kofuku. Yes. Um, and they seem to be like pretty close friends, longtime friends. They also have concerns about Hiori herself of like, you shouldn't exist. Yeah. This like in-between state that you are kind of bouncing between is like not normal and because you seem nice, I won't just like destroy send you. Send you to one of those realms. Namely, probably the afterlife one, right. not the living one. Um, but you should you should figure that out um, as kind of like a staunch warning as well. And I think a lot of that because of the rules that they have this great concern for humans becoming defiled. I mean, a lot of the conversations that are having a lot of the decisions they make are about trying to bring humans back and away from corruption. Yeah. And that's part of the warning that they're giving Hiori is the longer you stay in our world, the harder it's going to be for you to stay pure. Yeah. And you could become just like any of these phantoms. Right, especially someone like Hiori who seemingly does have a deep connection to the far shore mm-hmm. and is is so thoroughly attuned to it, becoming in the state, like maybe she'll end up a really powerful, um, dangerous phantom if, if she did get corrupted. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, can we talk a little bit about Kofuku specifically? <laughs> yes, she's a very interesting character in in this series. Yeah, she is almost like the most stereotypical anime character in this <laughs> show. Like her visual design is is anime protagonist girl kind of look. Yeah, she's pink and bubbly. Mm-hmm. And uh, very energetic and, and fun. And we find that she is one of the seven gods of fortune uh, who are very highly regarded. Obviously, like these are the gods that a lot of people pray to because that's what they want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, after meeting her, like I said, Yato and, and she have a, a very long lasting friendship. And she has her own regalia named Daikoku, who is like the super protective, uh, brawny, big big dude. He's the muscle. But Yato ends up on a, a job where he is basically trying to save a suicide, um, a potential suicide victim. And through a conversation that happens in midair with this guy, um, learns that his life has been radically demolished by who he knows is Kofuku, mm-hmm. because she is actually of those seven gods of fortune, is the god of poverty, and brings great disaster and misfortune on anyone that she interacts with long term. Well, and it's funny because she herself isn't poor. Like she kind of benefits. Like yeah. when you lose something, it kind of gets lost to her so she's pretty i would say pretty well off like even if she's not super well known you know in the way that like tenjin is like highly revered he has you know he has uh shrines all over the country she's not quite the same sort of level yeah but she's doing well well it's even like in her shrine they have a uh, like a panel, a wood panel of all the seven mm-hmm. gods. And like, there's no woman in there. Um, she is pictured, but like people don't even have a visual idea that she is the way she is or who she is. And so like this guy just met her happenstance, fell in love with her, started dating her. And like, she's draining him financially and he's doing everything he possibly can to spend more time with her. Mm-hmm. And, her story and I guess her role as a god is really strange and tragic to a certain degree because she doesn't want these outcomes. Like she she doesn't want people to hurt themselves, obviously. She doesn't want them ruined completely. She's like, I was just trying to have a little fun. I mean, um, but she's kind of locked in the state of where like her way to survive as a god and to profit is to bring poverty to people but she also you know doesn't want this negative outcome for people she wants closeness with humans but if if she gets close she ends up hurting them i think she and yato are really interesting counterparts to each other because they both have this sort of dual nature to their personalities, to their selves. And I think that's why she has such a close bond with him is because she understands this desire that he has to be something 
other than what his nature is. Right. And he's actually doing it. Like, he's forsaking his, we're unclear what it is, what his nature is, but he's forsaking his warlike deity self in order to be a different kind of God. And he's in poverty because of it. Yeah. Whereas she also has this kind of desire to not do harm, but that's her nature, but she's choosing to live in more comfort and just sort of dealing with it. Right. Yeah, and it's not like Yato doesn't want that. We constantly see him <laughs> daydreaming, sometimes actually dreaming about uh, being wealthy and famous and having all of these followers who dress like him and in his ratty like scarf and tracksuit. And that is something he's pursuing, but he, like you said, is is choosing to like turn down the kinds of things that seemingly he is meant for as a god. And likewise, like. Yukine wakes up as a weapon wielded by basically a bum in the middle of winter. It's like, I'm cold. You don't have any food. You don't have any money. You don't have anywhere to live. And like, you've brought me here. So now what? What mm-hmm. am I, how am I supposed to, who, who and how am I supposed to be in this world? And um, so I think there's a lot of struggle coming there with, um, these kind of opposing natures, and then Yukine being a moody teenager and waking up in this really unsuitable condition. And yeah, all of that is about to kind of collide. Well, and what's interesting is that you can see the good nature in especially Yato because Hiyori is incredibly wealthy. Yeah. She doesn't really flaunt it or anything, but it's known. Like, Yato knows that she has money, and she knows she has money, and she's not stingy about it, but she also is like, I'm not going to let people take advantage of me. Right. Her parents, like, her dad, I think, is like a big-time doctor, and they definitely own the hospital that (laughs) she stayed in. They drop a line about that. And so, if Yato's in great need... Or, like, thinks his regalia is in great need, he will ask Kiori, like, hey, could you buy us food? Yeah. And she will. And she'll be kind of like, ugh, you know, you're using me for money. Like, why aren't you helping me with my problem? But she doesn't, she doesn't, like, hold it against them. She will absolutely feed them. Right. Yeah, Yato even mooches off of Kafuku sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um in kind of a really unhealthy sort of way. Um, but yeah, she chooses to not like bankroll their entire thing, but is immediately kind of connected to uh, Yukine's position and, you know, being immediately born into the scenario where he is not taken care of and has a lot of compassion towards him and, so she seems to be feeding Yato as like a byproduct of, I'm going to help out this poor teenager. Well, and this is the contrast of dialogue that keeps happening is Hiori and Yukine will both be like, oh, you're not taking care of us. Like, you're not helping us. You're not solving, you know, our problems or whatever. But you see Yato 
do the most that he can with whatever he has. Like he will find a way to feed Yukine. He will find a way to get him clothes, even if it's not like the standard of which they're looking for. He is trying. And so it's really interesting when you hear kind of everybody talking about how like dangerous he is or how he doesn't care. But Yato himself shows that he's extremely protective. Like he definitely puts himself in harm's way to help both Hiori and Yugane. Like he takes on so much and he sacrifices so much. Like he gives up his only jacket. He like he tries so hard to protect these people and to shield them from both like the really sad parts of the world. Like there's a there's a whole episode that has to do with these people who are affected by the phantoms and them choosing to like take their lives because of it. Mm-hmm. And this sort of like, is it them? Is it the phantoms? It's kind of both. And he doesn't want his regalia to see that because he doesn't want them to have to this he doesn't want this pure uncorrupted soul to have to see this really sad horrific right thing yeah especially because like by definition the regalia would have died of like some sort of probably an accident yeah. more than anything um and so seeing that other people in their lifetimes made different choices to end up where they are by choice and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, he, he's really trying to shield especially this uh, impressionable teen yes. during this time. So I think where the story is probably going to go is there are three kind of characters, the three main characters, and seeing their different struggles and seeing their different dual issues like they're supposed to be pure, but also there's, you know, there's the potential for corruption. There's, you know, Hiori living between two worlds. There's Yato being two different, two different kind of gods. That part's unclear. Mm-hmm. And what is that going to mean? How is that going to affect the people around them? Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we will take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the production elements for Noragami. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to the show. All right, Kayla, would you like to get our discussion started on the production elements? So to start with the animation of this show, there is this really interesting, I keep using the word duality. There, <laughs> there's a lot of like very opposite things theming throughout the show. And one of the biggest notable things are the general sort of human world and then how it overlaps with the spirit world. And they illustrate that in a really cool way with the animation. Most of the human world is pretty standard looking anime. 
It's pretty muted colors, nothing super bright and flashy or anything like that. But when you see the phantoms or when you see anything of the spirit world, there starts to be this very blocky, neon bright coloring that happens. And so you really get to see the contrast between these two realities. And even with Hiori, the way that you can tell if she's left her body is that her spirit form has, a, it, it kind of looks like a cat tail, I yeah. guess. It's like a long, poofy tail. And that tail is this neon color. It's like a neon pink and purple. Right. And so, in some instances, the animation can look kind of like it doesn't belong. Like, we've talked about this sometimes with things like CGI, where it's really obvious that some animation or something was rendered by a computer and it just doesn't look like it belongs in the show. It doesn't have that same level of disconnect, but it is trying to give you that sense that these two things don't belong in the same space. And I think for the most part, they did that pretty well. There's one animation that happened after usually Yato takes out a phantom and it's this like explosion of what I think are letters and names just because there's a lot of naming importance in this yeah. show, but it is not in a language that I can read. So yeah. I am unclear. That particular animation where you see this explosion of words very much does not look like it belongs it's just a i don't know how that animation is created but it just doesn't look the same as everything else yeah yeah i don't necessarily yeah and i don't necessarily think it's like bad um it is just striking and unique um for the rest of it and and so maybe stands out a little bit um and maybe just to highlight that like you know everything else, even the the phantoms and the the stuff from the far shore, has kind of a physical uh, analog to the world. Like the phantoms are mostly sea creatures, really. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some frogs. There's like I don't know types of fish and and things like that. Some kind of dragon like stuff. And like jellyfish looking things, and yeah. And I guess all that tying into calling it the near and the far shore. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, this explosion of words is not, like, a, a, a reality. It's it's kind of a, it is artificial in a sense. It's man-made. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe maybe they are trying to highlight something there, or maybe it's a specific kind of, um, you know, limitation on, on this art style to be able to put that in. But either way, it works all right. In general, I I agree with all that stuff. It It looks pretty good. Um, they have kind of cool distinctions between the different spiritual realms. Um, I, I learned a little bit about Studio Bones this week, um, just that Bones itself is actually five different studios. Mm -hmm. And so while, you know, Bones as a company produced My Hero Academia and Full Metal Alchemist and 
Oron and, and a bunch of different stuff. The heavy hitters. Those were all in a different studio. Mm. Uh, and so you may have had like no hands crossing between those those different shows. Um, and so I was I was interested to learn that Studio A hasn't done a whole lot of big stuff. I've seen like one episode of Carol and Tuesday, and that's the only thing I recognize from Studio A. Oh, and I so, can see them being similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just think it's interesting that like this really is kind of a, a standout anime for that particular studio within Bones. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I haven't really seen a whole lot of the original manga, so I'd be interested to see how it compares. But I think they did a great job with the material. Yeah, from what I've seen, they they seem to get the same character designs like pretty spot on and um I would be interested to see how the phantoms ended up translating. Yeah. So I think this is a rare case where the music actually matters in this show. Mm-hmm. Um both from the opening like licensed music perspective and from the score. Mm-hmm. Um the opening theme in contrast to our previous episode is killer. It's really good. Super good. Um, it's by a band called Hello Sleepwalkers. I found it on Spotify, and it, <laughs> it will be no surprise that this song has like literally 10 times the views or the listens of, of any of their other music, <laughs> which may be unfortunate because they probably have other good stuff. Sure. Um, but it's just, it's a great song, and it's used amazingly well in the opening. And it's a really true feel for how this show's gonna go. Yeah, it blends perfectly with the the character styles and the action sequences because the intro is loaded with fight scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which we don't see a whole lot of in the show. And the opening is also introducing characters that we haven't met who are getting into huge fights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very interesting to see some of that early on. Even Kafuku makes a, an appearance in there and yeah. is just perfect in the intro. There is some theming in the intro that I I don't really know how it fits into the show, which Mm. is that the main characters are entering into what looks like a a film set uh, or maybe like a music video kind of shoot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's like lighting rigs and cameras and stuff. I don't know necessarily how that fits into the theme of the show. Mm. Um, I haven't pieced that together. But otherwise, like the, the use of music and the character sequences and everything uh, really cool. And something that I think we talk about a lot in anime intros and outros is that there is sort of this common, I guess you can call it a trope, where the intro is really high energy and the outro is really low energy. 
And rarely does the outro actually fit the theming of the show. But I think in this show it does because there are are a lot of heavy themes in the show. There's a lot of sadness that is interwoven into what's happening with these characters. Yes, there are fight sequences. Yes, there is sort of this kind of octane, you know, push. But pretty quickly into these episodes, are we dealing with really heavy, sad things like like something like a suicide is... Yeah is not something to be taken lightly. And so to have this sort of melancholy outro, I think works with the intro right. in a way that it usually doesn't work in most shows. And I, I think it also highlights um, the kind of theme of the show around the collision of those two worlds. Mm-hmm. They act like bookends between the near shore and the far shore, yes. with the intro being the near shore. It is all very physical, very real life. Um, it is the characters interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. It is a physical film set. Mm-hmm. It is fights uh, between people, between gods. And it's not a whole lot of the phantom stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, the, the phantoms bring sadness and um, emotional turmoil that they call storms. And mm-hmm. the outro very much feels like that element of the show. And then between it, you've got the collision of the two things, the actual show itself. And even you talking about like the intro being sort of the external fight that they have. If we think about the show, there is each character has an external and an internal fight. They're wrestling with their, their sense of identity, who they are, what their name is, what that means while also having these external sort of, Fights, and I think mm-hmm. you're right. It's really bookend really nicely between this intro and the outro song. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to note real quick uh, is about the costuming choice for the characters, specifically the gods. So the three gods that we've met being Yato, Kafuku, and Tenjin. That Tenjin is the only god that matches, I would say, like the trope of what we would think a god would look like. He's in very traditional garb. It's, I don't want to say it's ornate, but it's very crisp. It's very, let me use the word professional for lack of a better term. It's just very regal looking. Yeah. And... He is what you would think of as a traditional god. You know, he fits that role. He's very much that model. And he's presented as that. And what's interesting is that they're kind of showing how that doesn't really mean anything. And I think Kofuku is a really good example of a god who is just as well-known, but not really as revered. She doesn't really play into this that role. Her costuming, they have her in this kind of like schoolgirl outfit. It is very innocent looking. It's very approachable looking. But she is a god of kind of destruction right. in a way. You know, she brings 
She brings sadness, but she presents as being happy. Well, flirty even. Mm-hmm. Um, even in contrast to her regalia, who presents as like the protective boyfriend, uh, you know, like the... He kind of looks like a Yakuza. Probably Yakuza. <laughs> definitely is going to kill you if you hit on his girl <laughs> yes. kind of kind of vibe. And so, like, the world's perception of her being so different, like, not even recognizing her as a woman in mm-hmm. paintings and everything. And then, uh, you know, guys meeting her and then learning about her scary boyfriend character <laughs> and, and all of this stuff is is very... Uh, telling of like people's perception of the gods versus their actual physical and uh, kind of worldly appearance. And so Yato is kind of the culmination of this, that he very much does not match what you would think a god looks like. He's in a kind of dingy tracksuit, which is commented on a lot. And We do get glimpses into his past when they start to reference, like, he's actually a god of war, and he used to play that role because he had to, to survive. Yeah. And it's hard to say, like, is he wearing, like, the traditional garb of that time, or was there something that he was leaning into the perception of who he was? And so he's kind of dressed in this sort of unarmored samurai Samurai with yeah. a top knot and like mm-hmm. a long sword and yeah, katana kind of, yeah. And so I think it's interesting that his costuming is showing like he's really trying to be against his nature. Right. And they're showing that through his clothing. And like I said, I think Kofuku is also a really good example of someone who looks the opposite of who they are. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting way that they presented that through clothing. Yeah. Everybody else is kind of normal looking. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So to wrap us up and kind of talk about our general thoughts, I'll try to burn through mine pretty quickly. We've already talked about a lot of the things that I like about this show. I really don't have a whole lot of negatives to say about it. Um, Full disclosure, I've seen the entirety of this show before, both seasons, and I've tried to not kind of influence (laughs) the things we talked about with what I know is coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also introduced the show to Kayla like just a few months ago before we rolled this, and uh, we have watched all of season one together. Yeah. Um, So we do know some things coming up. I know a few more, but I've forgotten a lot of them, so... um, you know, some of that stuff, I, I don't know exactly where it ends up. But I, I just, in general, I think this is an excellent show. Um, the pacing can be a little uneven at times. Mm-hmm. There are some episodes that are hard to get through, and I think it's intentional. Uh, there is slow, kind of painful character growth in mm-hmm. this show. And I, I think while it, it can be kind of a stumbling block for you getting through the show and binging it or whatever... Um, I think it is done in a way that really benefits the show overall. What I know of this show and its kind of general consensus is that uh, this show was very popular at the time. It's really well received um, today and previously. But in general, it's just kind of fallen out of the general discussion. Like you don't see it on a lot of 
recommendation lists anymore. You don't really hear people bring it up uh, repeatedly, but and in even my personal experience with it, a number of years ago when I saw it, I didn't remember a whole lot of stuff from it, um, and that's really kind of a shame because I think it deserves to be in the conversation even today. A lot of that comes from the complexity of the characters. We've talked about a lot of that already. Yato being mysterious and unsettling as his past is revealed, but but you see he still has a good heart, and despite his greed and his desire for wealth and all of that, he has basically put himself into a position of being homeless uh, so that he uh, doesn't have to proceed in the way that would get him to that elevated status. Uh, Hiori is impulsive. She's a little bit naive about the spirit world because she's just kind of being exposed to it. Um, but she's very self-motivated, self-sufficient, and in tune with both worlds that she's kind of getting involved with. Um, but especially with the people she's meeting, uh, deeply caring, adept at kind of figuring out solutions to, to complex problems that she's encountering. You can probably tell that she was written by women. Yes. Which is great. Whoop. Yuki, I think, is probably the most well-written teenager I've ever seen. Yes. Um, just the right amount of like <laughs> selfishness and rebellion to make you really want to hate him, but also like just tragic enough mm. and caring enough mm -hmm. that you really are rooting for him to become like a good, mature adult. Kofuku and her kind of tragic... <laughs> concept that she has going on the other gods the regalia that we meet later on all of them are really cool and i think on top of all that there is just some practical stuff that's really good about this show too the comedy throughout is <laughs> is thoughtful and light it is definitely not the focus of this show it is very much a kind of spiritual sort of action drama kind of thing but the comedy is is tasteful and doesn't get in the way when it does show up and also like this show has every opportunity to use Hiori's narcolepsy kind of things to like do distasteful jokes about her and it never goes that direction um, in fact minor spoiler on future episodes like Yuki's behavior of going through puberty is a substantial focus a, a couple episodes in. And uh, he is learning that disrespecting his friend's body and uh, not understanding things like consent is really, really destructive for him and his friend group. And he pays like actual consequences for that, which is really refreshing in anime where that is not frequently mm -hmm. um, discussed and it is frequently brushed over as a joke. Mm-hmm. Yes. So knowing that I have also seen all of season one, going back and rewatching these first four episodes can be a lot. Like they set up a good chunk of the world building in these first four episodes. And while I wouldn't say it's like a lore dump in the way that a lot of shows can be, where it's a lot of expositing. There is just a lot. You're introducing a lot of main characters. You're starting to introduce a lot of theming right off the bat. And it's letting you know, like, what are some of the boundaries 
of this world. And I think it does set that up in a way that it is clear what they're doing. It is clear what the boundaries are. It is a kind of what you were saying. It, it's a it's a lot right off the bat. And so I do know that there will be a slowdown pace pretty much immediately right after episode mm-hmm. four. But if you're just going in with just the four episodes, while I do think that they do a good job of introducing the characters, getting you to care about the characters and also this world, if you don't know that they're going to scale back some of the pacing, it could feel very exhaustive because we've seen shows that are like this. It's just thing after thing after thing, and it there isn't a really good focus on what the show is. And I think... In particular, Noragami does a good job of making you understand what the focus is. Hiori is constantly asking Yato to get to the point between the two of them, which is to get her to reconnect fully with the near shore, with the physical world. And it is kind of brushed off. It is kind of, you know, he finds some excuse or he, you know, suddenly gets a phone call and has to has to leave. And it makes it really clear that isn't the focus. The focus isn't going to be, is Hiori going to, you know, join back in in the physical world? It's how are they going to deal with these dual selves? Each of them, Yato, Hiori, and Yukane. And I think if you can see that right off the bat then I think it sets the show up for success. If you get kind of bogged down by like, well, why are the names important? Why is this? Why is that? You can start to get a little lost, but I have the foreknowledge to know the pacing slows down. We start to really focus in on the theming of at least a season. I haven't seen season two, so I don't know how much that carries through, but I think this is a really good setup for what I know is to come. Well, with all of that said, would you watch more of this? So as you said, I've already seen season one, and I did enjoy it. So yeah, I'm probably going to actually finish out season one again and actually make time to watch season two since we didn't really have a reason to stop watching it. We just picked up other shows and never never got back to season two. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm also biased. Um, I've seen the whole thing. I chose to watch it again a few months ago. I've watched it again now, <laughs> and I still want to keep going. Yeah. Um, I might dip in on season one, but once you get to season two again, yeah, I'll for sure uh, finish that up. Hooray. Well, if you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at anamonday.moe. That's anamonday.moe. You can send us questions and comments to podcast at anamonday.moe, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our username is anamondaycast, and you can find links for that in our website. If you are interested in rolling your own random anime, you can go to anamonday.moe slash random, and you can pick between different streaming services that you have at your disposal and different types of anime and things like that, and you can uh, randomize your own. Thanks also to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show, which come from the Senpai EPs, which are available on Bandcamp and other major streaming services. 
and uh, please go support him. He is a uh, fantastic, fantastic songwriter. Are you ready to roll? Yes. Random button in three, two, one. Okay, um, our anime for the week is, are you ready for this? Am I? Terraformars. Okay. Terra Terraformars. Space. Yes. More space. Space bugs. Bugs. Yeah, space bugs. Oh, geez. Uh, Why am I? I'm consuming so much space stuff right now. I'm reading some space books. What is happening? Yeah, I think I tried to watch this when it aired. Oh, geez. <laughs> Uh, first episode is called Mutation. Yeah. You know, I just said... Yeah. ...that we hadn't done any horror stuff. Yep. Spoke too soon. I guess so. Ugh. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if I can get through this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. With that, uh, I think we're going to call it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time. Mm. Hope you have a great Halloween. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Wish me luck, y'all. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Visually interesting. Oh, my God. <laughs> I knew it. As soon as you said it, I was waiting for it. Confrontation. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> you know what? And now you'll never get to watch another episode again because friggin'. We'll find a way. Viacom. <coughs> Anyways. <laughs>